rocketed from a distant planet to a bold new destiny on Earth. Found by a Kansas family and raised as Clark Kent, he learned he possessed the strength of steel, the speed of light, and the desire to help all mankind. He is Superboy. Welcome to episode 197 of the Man of Screen Podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this episode I continue my run through season four of the Salkine Produced Adventures of Superboy, which aired from 1988 until 1992 in syndication. This week I'm covering episodes five and six, one of which is written by Sherman Howard as he decided to take an opportunity to showcase the talents of Tracy Roberts in Darla Goes Ballistic. And we're going to see two very special guest stars, Noel Neal and Jack Larson, as two uh, Bureau of Agents in a Paranoia. We all remember Noel and Jack from my coverage of The Adventures of Superman, as Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen, respectively. They're not playing uh, those characters here, but they are. there are some fun references and some nice callbacks that uh, I saw in the episode. But before we get to that, I have feedback to address. Feedback is from Dave McElvenny. Dave's writing in on Man of Screen, episode 186. And Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. There are a couple of good episodes, and your coverage of them was fun. In Test of Time, which reminds me in some ways of the classic Star Trek episode, Wink of an Eye, I liked how Superboy realized by seeing the flying helicopter with the slow-moving blades that he'd been sped up, rather than everyone else slowed down. You wondered at one point why Superboy didn't seem to hear any sounds from the town while in his accelerated state, my guess, aside from the writer didn't think about that, is that in his sped-up condition, the normal sounds had shifted to subsonic frequencies. Most people know that there are frequencies too high for people to hear, but it's also true that there are some frequencies that are too low for people to hear, and maybe even Superboy can't hear those. I did wonder about the robot who had the conversation with Superboy while quote-unquote testing him. He seemed to have a pretty good grasp of human life and interaction, talking about his wife and asking Superboy if there was anyone special in his life but seemingly having no sense of that Superboy was different in any way from quote-unquote normal humans. Mindscape definitely reminded me of For the Man Who Has Everything from the Comics, but with a darker form of quote-unquote attack on its host. Unlike Mongols, Black Mercy, though this creature didn't seem to have been targeted specifically at Superboy, I imagine if it had latched onto an ordinary human, it would have killed its host pretty quickly. It was interesting to see, in this case, things Superboy feared, rather than desired as was the case with the Black Mercy. I think the dream where he was a robot might have reflected a fear of being so different from normal humans that they might never really, quote-unquote, connect with him, along with his not fully knowing his background and nature. I mean, how does Superboy know for certain he's not some kind of robot or android, for example? There were some good questions for him to ponder here. I am very much looking forward to your coverage of Superboy Lost, which is Superboy's version of Panic in the Sky, as I'm sure you'll mention, along with other versions of that story. Live long and prosper, Dave McElvenny. All right, uh, thank you, Dave, for writing in. I know I've seen the Star Trek episode Wink of an Eye that you referenced here, but I mean, I do know I've seen it. I've seen it all. I don't think there's any Star Trek that I haven't seen, personally. Back about seven, eight or seven or eight years ago, I did a pretty extensive watch through of all Star Trek up until that time, which included all the movies, Enterprise, original series, Next Gen, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and all the movies. And since then, I've watched everything that's come out. So I don't think I've missed anything, but you know. I'm sure if I looked up Wink of an Eye, I'd uh, remember it, but not going to do that. But yeah, I liked uh, how Superboy figured out what was going on pretty quickly with uh, being sped up due to the uh, the perceived slower helicopter blades. And and I'll buy your explanation for the sounds uh, that have maybe uh, the frequency is outside of Superboy's range. That's fine. But I'm sure it is more likely to write it and think about that. And how do you do that in sound design? So... And if there's any kind of residual hum, it'll probably get pretty annoying for the viewer after a while, you know. And I really didn't think about the robot and its conversation with Superboy. It did seem pretty lifelike until some kind of programming kicked in and went to kill Superboy. I mean, I don't know how much research they did into humans, but I don't know. Maybe life and family dynamics are similar where these aliens are from. We really don't know anything about these aliens other than that they're looking for 
a new home because theirs was wiped out because they depleted the resources, but they didn't know much about humans because they thought Superboy was a typical human being. While both of these episodes were very good, Mindscape is definitely the standout, and I did you know, also like the inverted uh, Black Mercy thing. And that's a good observation, Dave, about the robot dream being uh, emblematic of his fear that he is, or is emblematic of his lack of knowledge of who he is and where he's from and how that bothers him. My favorite of the three dreams was when he sees the other Clark, which just seems to represent his fear of kind of Superboy standing in the way of his life. I really don't have a ton to add to uh, what Dave uh, wrote in. Uh, and if you want to jump into the conversation, you want to respond to something that Dave uh, wrote or anything that I cover in my episodes, manscreen at gmail.com. I really have uh, nothing else to add to Dave's letter aside from that it is very true that that episode did leave us with some very good questions to ponder. And if you have any answers and want to offer any, manscreen at gmail.com. Now I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo. When I come back, Darla goes ballistic. Hang around, folks. Batman Nightcast is back with new episodes and a new mission. I'm Ryan Daly. And I'm Chris Franklin. The new Nightcast chronicles the Dark Knight Detective's greatest adventures from our favorite comic book creators. What a novel approach, talking about the comics we actually enjoy. I know, right? Highlights from this bold new era of Batman Nightcast include... The Joker's Laughing Fish. The Saga of Ra's al Ghul. Is that how we're pronouncing it? Yes. Okay. Batman vs. the Man-Bat. And the first appearance of villains like Clayface 3 and the Ventriloquist. Plus more great stories by the likes of Steve Englehart and Marshall Rogers. Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams. Alan Grant and Norm frickin' Brayfogle. Irv Novick. Don Newton. Doug Munch. Dick Sprang. Max Allen Collins. No, what? Just messing with you. Wasn't funny. Batman Nightcast, every month from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to start this episode off with Darla Goes Ballistic. Original broadcast date was November 3rd, 1991. Directed by John Hunick. Written by Lex Luthor himself, Sherman Howard. Guest cast included Sherman Howard as Lex Luthor. You didn't think he'd write a script and not be in it, did you? Tracy Roberts as Darla. And Ronald Knight as the bank CEO. And our synopsis is brought to you by TV.com. Lex Luthor is working on a formula to increase his intelligence when Darla walks in, craving attention. Doll on the whole face of the earth. Oh, Lexi Pooh. Yeah, bug eye creep, it's my birthday. You forgot, didn't you? After everything I've done for you, you think one lousy day of the year isn't asking too much. I darn your socks, wash your underwear, cut out the letters for your ransom notes, feed your fat face day in and day out, hiding in the stump like a cockroach. Hell, I might as well be dead. Now, this is it, skinhead. If you don't take me out right now, tonight, it's over. Lex, look at me. You look at me! If you don't put that down right now, and look at me, I'll kill myself. Lex! Three and a half months. I've been working on this. Uh, 
a formula that could increase my mental powers exponentially. Three and a half months. And you just destroyed it. Good. I suppose mega mental power doesn't mean much to a flea-brained twit like you because you've got the mind of an amoeba, but it does mean a lot to me. So go on, kill yourself! You'll be doing us both a favor! After Lex insults Darla, she drinks the formula, sending her into a rage. When she comes to, her intelligence surges, astonishing Lex. Now the brains of the operation with her newfound brilliance, Darla inserts a virus into the nation's banking system, scrambling account files. Clark hears news of this over the radio at the bureau and leaves. At the local bank, Lex and Darla arrive to collect when Superboy shows up. Hey there, big fella. Long time no mumbo jumbo. Oh, God. Tell me, Luther. Did you really think that you'd get away with this? I'm taking you in. Oh, wouldn't you rather take me out? I never let a guy touch me on a first date. What's going on? It's simple. Whatever I think... <laughs> happens. Psychokinesis, that's impossible. The formula was All this and brains, too. What you gawking at, handsome? Darla, what are you after? Fly me to the moon. You are kidding. Well, I am woman, you are man. You are pathetic. You may be dangerous, you may be powerful, but you're still a bad joke. How dare you? I have the mental power of a whole computer bank. I can move things with my mind. My IQ is off the scale. And not only that, I'm pretty. Beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. Darla then uses her power to distract Superboy long enough to make an escape. Later, Darla and Lex show up at the Bureau with intentions of kidnapping Lana. This is insane. Well, maybe if I take his girlfriend out of the picture, Superboy will wise up a little. What the devil you want with Superboy? Oh, great. She's got Kent with her. Let's forget it. Oh, what's the matter? Are you scared of him? Oh, please. You're coming with us. Not this again. Do you realize that kidnapping is a violation of... Don't make me mad. I'm giving Superboy 24 hours to meet me on my turf and on my terms. Are you both history? We're taking both of them? The more the merrier. Lick this. You better pray that he shows. Now get moving. Darla prepares for a date with Superboy. While in the basement, Clark and Lana try to convince Lex to allow Superboy to use his super speed to shorten the process and finding an antidote to cure Darla. Darla's condition is creating earthquakes and storms that worsen with her mounting emotions. As Lex tries to gather his lab notes, Darla comes in and destroys them, along with his computer. Frightened of her increasing power, Lex agrees to release Clark so he can contact Superboy. The storms, the earthquakes, she's causing them, isn't she? That's the least of it. She's growing more powerful by the second. We may be headed for a global holocaust. Well, if you let us go, I can reach Superboy and arrange a meeting someplace. There's a lab at the Bureau, right? You tell Superboy to meet me there in an hour. Let Lana go, too. She stays. It's the only way. Go. No, wait. Hit me. What? It's got to look like you escaped. Now hit me. I don't know. Oh, come on. <laughs> you really are a wimp, aren't you? Can't you put a little muscle into it? Well, if you say so. At the Bureau's lab, Superboy and Lex work together to create the formula for the antidote. Darla's overcharging the Earth's magnetic field. Looks like things are getting worse. Icebergs in the L.A. Harbor, Eskimos with heat prostration. It's definitely getting worse. Let me see that. Professor Peterson over at Schuster. I gotta go. It's quite a shiner. It's nothing. Who did it? 
I ran into a door, okay? The whole Earth is about to go careening out of orbit, so can we just focus here? We've got to identify the exact amount of enzyme that was released into the solution when Darla grabbed my arm and knocked that dropper into the beaker. Now, we're talking trial and error. Unless we get very lucky, we'll have to run the experiment several thousand times. I can do that in a few minutes. A few minutes? Hyperspeed. Huh. Well, once we got the formula, I can whip up the antidote. And how are you going to test it? Well, unless you want to volunteer, I suggest we feed it to a rat. Fine. Can you handle the taste? Let's just get started. They tested on a rat, expecting it to run a maze in record time. When it stops in the middle of the maze, Lux figures it to be a loss, until Superboy points out that the rat is in fact reading the newspaper below. As the Earth's condition worsens, Matt delivers the news that shoots the university's head physicist, predicts the Earth to fall off its axis in 38 minutes. Back in Lex's basement, Darla opens up to Lana about her unrequited love for Lex. I didn't want any of this. I didn't plan to hurt anybody. And I certainly wasn't trying to steal your God. It's just... Darla, you need help. Maybe Superboy can do something about Superboy this. Superboy doesn't understand me any more than Lex does. I just wish... I just wish that Lex would. You're free to go. Darla, I'm not gonna leave you like this. Greetings! Whoo! <laughs> it's a regular monsoon out there. Where have you been? Trying to track down Clark. <laughs> you know, funny thing happened on the way to the library. This guy comes up to me. And he asked me for a light. <laughs> Blood of the vine. You know, it's kind of funny because I don't smoke. I used to, but I quit. I don't even miss it. Well, I suppose I could use one right now. Have you ever seen photos of smokers' lungs? Ooh, black and charred, strange, pussy growths. Here, honey, drink up. Your hand is shaking. Oh, well, I uh, uh, probably caught a chill. The rain, you know. What is it, poison? Or the antidote? Antidote? For what? Insult my intelligence. You've been working with Superboy. Superboy? He's coming, isn't he? No! What makes you think that... Real clever, Lex. Darla, you have to drink it. Why should I? Because you have less than a minute left. Before what? Before your psychokinetic powers destroy the whole world. So? Darla, what do you want? All I ever wanted was a little affection. Maybe a little respect. Will destroying the world get it for you? Believe me. I would drink it if I could. Well, here, Darla, come on, drop the shield. I can't. What do you mean you can't? I can't control it. It's involuntary. A defense mechanism. Gosh, honey, I'm really, I'm really sorry about all this stuff that I, I mean, what I'm... I love you. What did you say? I love you. Really? Here, honey. Let me help you. Here. She drinks the antidote and returns to her normal self. What's everybody looking at? A very brave woman. Huh? A very smart lady. Oh, me? Classiest doll on the face of the earth. Ah, Lexi Foo.
one thing I'm going to get off. No, this is not really something to get off my chest, but something I want to state right out of the gate here. Both of these episodes were tremendous amounts of fun to watch and to take notes on. So, and I've got quite a bit, believe it or not, on both of these episodes. It's uh, so much to talk about here. So, we'll start with this one, obviously. Lex is at the computer, and it looks like he's got a little chemistry experiment going around him. But what we're going to find out that our mad scientist is working on something, and we don't know what it is at first. And he is not at all distracted by the uh, sexy ensemble Darla has uh, is wearing behind him. Now, right here, Lex is all about his work and uh, ignoring Darla completely. And, you know, rightfully so. She's getting frustrated, and she is kind of simulating a conversation with him and imitating how she would imagine his responses to be. And, you know, it's pretty funny. From what I had heard with regards to this episode, I don't know where I heard this, possibly on another podcast, is that Sherman Howard recognized the range and the talent that Tracy Roberts had, and really all of the her appearances were just painting her as Lex's bimbo sidekick. And seeing that she was capable of more, Sherman Howard wrote this script to kind of showcase her talent, which, if you ask me, is pretty generous on the uh, on the part of an actor. I mean, if you're an actor uh, writing a show that you work on, there is always that uh, temptation to favor your own character, which I thought he did a little bit in Mind Games, even though it's a really good episode. It does seem as though he favors, you know, his own character over the others. And but I really like what he's doing with Darla here. It's a different look for Darla. It's we haven't seen much other than kind of a the bimbo sidekick characteristics out of Darla, except for in uh, the Road to Hell. And I wonder if maybe that was kind of the impetus for something like this because in the Road to Hell, I mean, obviously that was a different Darla that Tracy Roberts was playing, but that Darla was the ringleader, and maybe seeing her do that made Sherman Howard want to write this script. I don't know that that's true. I don't know that it's not. Just kind of food for thought there. So. We eventually learn that Darla is all dolled up for her birthday, and uh, she thinks that, you know, caring for Lex is uh, apparently the least he can do, and apparently she seems to imply that he, uh, that she pretty much takes care of him, and even sometimes does uh, some of his thinking for him, too, because there have been times where Darla has kind of, you know, especially when it comes to human interaction, Darla has put an, an idea in Lex's head that he might not have had ordinarily. Like, for instance, uh, if you think back to The Bride of Bizarro, Seeing that the uh, Bizarro Darla, did, no, realizing that the uh, Bizarro Darla didn't work because Superboy doesn't love Darla. So she does bring this human element to Lex that he, and somewhat of an understanding of human relationships that Lex definitely doesn't have. Although one thing she says that I was kind of confused about is she wants Lex to take her out. They're both wanted criminals. Where can they go? They can't risk going to a restaurant or, or the movies without being uh, recognized. So what exa- where exactly can he take her? Well, anyway, uh, she's getting angrier and angrier, and Lex is uh, continuing to work on his chemistry experiment here. And he was working very carefully with his eyedropper, and she bumps into him and just drops the entire eyedropper right into the beaker. Well, this finally gets Lex's attention, and it got him to pay attention, and Lex is pissed. Because apparently this potion was supposed to expand Lex's mental faculties, and he basically says three months' worth of... Work is kind of down the drain, which didn't sit right with me because, you know, if he was keeping track of everything he had to do, I mean, was this, was making the solution a three-month process? Uh, maybe. I don't know. Maybe he's cooking for three months. I mean, you would think it would be a simple fact to just go back to his notes and remix the chemicals unless he does, ha- unless it does take a long time. So basically, he's angry and basically told Darla to kill herself. So in response, she uh, drinks the serum. Not having any idea what's in this thing, so I guess she figured it was poison and then it would kill her. Instead, it sends her pretty much into a blind rage as she's screaming and swinging her arms, throwing stuff around. And then she kind of goes from a wrecking ball to kind of settling down. And when she wakes up, she appears to be super smart. She even had a flaw in this formula that uh, my uh, pea brain can't possibly understand. I wonder if the writer knew what he was writing about, you know, whether the peptides were going to bond or... Whatever it was, I certainly didn't understand what she was saying, but, you know, apparently it meant something to Lex. So, like I said, Tracy Roberts has a chance to do something here with the uh, smart Darla. And while Lex wants to do a bank job, apparently Darla has uh, interjected some kind of computer virus into a bank. And let's bear in mind, this is uh, 1991. The internet has not hit mainstream yet, won't for a few years. 
and computer viruses are still, at least in the eyes of the public, a new thing. I don't think I'd heard of computer viruses yet at that point. So, Darla is now in charge, much like what we saw in The Road to Hell. And they're at the bank, and she was expecting Superboy to show up. And apparently now, there's some kind of force field that forms around Darla, and Superboy can't take her in because she created a psychokinetic force field. So, that is a defense mechanism. I don't know if she knows she's doing it, at least not right away, but we're going to see later in the episode that she does lose control of these abilities. And this is where I think Superboy's character is a little bit off here. When he talks to Darla, Superboy is downright rude, calling her pathetic and a bad joke. I mean, I don't know if he's saying these things because he means it or if, because for some re- or if he's trying to provoke her. But it just doesn't seem as though he's taking her seriously at all. So she emits some kind of beams from her eyes and Superboy blocks it easily. So she uses her psychokinesis to uh, break a window and send the bank CEO kind of floating out the window. And Halo Alex just, as this is happening, he's just standing there gawking with his mouth wide open. I guess what this episode is telling us that uh, with super intelligence, uh, maybe it activates a part of the brain that allows uh, psychokinesis. So Superboy rescues the bank CEO, and they're gone. And he, and he just looks at the open door. Maybe he needs some super intelligence. I mean, come on, man, you got super speed. How far can they possibly have gotten? So now Lex and Darla show up at the bureau and kidnap Clark and Lana to draw out Superboy. And I love how bored Lana looks. With the whole thing. Oh, not <laughs> She actually says, oh, not this again. I mean, are they that much of a joke that even Lana's not taking them seriously? I mean, I don't care who it is or how many times you've been kidnapped by them. And even though you've been rescued a bunch of times, you would think you would have some fear <laughs> with a gun being pointed at you. Not just this boredom and irritation. Just, wow, some of the uh, characterizations are a little off here, I think. And even if they don't take Darla seriously, they should take Lex seriously. And honestly, Sherman Howard should know better, being that he's Lex Luthor. So Lex is actively working to return Darla to the way she was before. And he's quite casual with Clark and Lana. And he refers to Darla as a very intelligent monster. I guess he would be the, he would know what a monster is and what isn't, right? So Lana suggests Superboy's help to find an antidote to the serum. He could help speed the process up. But Lex isn't quite desperate enough to accept that help. And Darla catches Lex trying to research an antidote because she grabs him and hangs him upside down. And this is really the first time we've seen this version of Lex scared. I mean, he is terrified of Darla here. I mean, she has everything in the palm of her hand. She can kill him right here, and there'd be nothing he can do about it. I mean, Lex has always skirted by on Superboy's good nature, knowing that Superboy won't kill him. And they think that's helped Lex get out of some scrapes, but he doesn't have that luxury here with Darla. She'll kill him. And I think Lana is getting scared now. And Lex has been scared the whole time because he knows she's a threat. And let's be honest, he doesn't like women that are smarter than he is. I mean, hell, he doesn't like anyone smarter than he is. It's an ego thing. Lex is a complete narcissist and always believes himself to be the smartest man in the room. He can't stand to not be the smartest person in the room. So... What we're learning, though, is that her powers are unstable, and Lex says uh, she can create a global holocaust, which is good that Lex doesn't want to create a global holocaust. You know, you see so much in old uh, comics and whatnot of these supervillains that want to destroy the world. Why would you want to destroy a planet that you live on? I guess he wanted to rule the world, but destroy it? I mean, you still got to live there. So it's good to see that uh, Lex doesn't want to uh, destroy the entire planet. So they fake an escape, and... Clark has to hit Lex to make it look good. So obviously we're letting Clark go because it's in the script. The script needs Clark to go so we can cut, so we can change it to Superboy. And I just love this exchange. This is a great exchange and well acted between uh, Gerard Christopher and uh, Sherman Howard. You always see Sherman Howard as Lex Luthor operating against Superboy. So it's really fun here to see while he's still playing off of Gerard Christopher. He's playing off Gerard Christopher as Clark, so it's a completely different dynamic because Lex doesn't know he's dealing with Superboy. And first, uh, Clark gives him a weak slap, and Lex laughs, you know, which reinforces Clark's wimpiness. And then he tells Clark to put a little bit of muscle in it, and, well, Clark does, and he just floors Lex and knocks him into some crates. Uh, Lex is just lying in uh, these broken crates with this kind of flabbergasted look on his face. And then when Lana looks at Clark and uh, 
similar shock. He just shakes his hand and pretends uh, that it hurts because all of a sudden he remembered he has to play act. But I think, you know, that was a very satisfying punch for Clark. And I love the comedy in this episode. The last episode that Sherman Howard wrote was more of a Lex Superboy character study. But this is just straight up fun. I still don't think he's got the characters down pat. I mean, he's got Darla and uh, Lex down. I still think Lana is a little bit off, but especially the way she reacted to being kidnapped. And despite having been kidnapped, she never looked uncomfortable in our captivity here. I mean, think of all the things that Lex has done to her over the course of the show. They're just sitting there like old chums, which, like I said, is weird. So things are getting worse. The Superboy and Lex are working on an antidote to uh, remove Darla's powers. Superboy notices Lex's black eye that Clark gave him, and uh, and he gives Lex a crap at it. He's like, oh, where'd you get that shiner? And uh, Le- I love how Lex won't admit that Clark gave it to him. I think he says he walked into an appliance or something, but he his ego will not allow him to admit that Clark Kent gave it to him. But, but you know what? We're all in on the joke with Superboy because we know that Superboy finally got to, uh, got to deck Lex. And like I said, I'm sure that was a very cathartic moment for him. So they suggest giving the, the serum to a rat. And Superboy asks Lex if he can handle the taste of it, which I'm, which was, you know, sarcasm on Superboy's part. You don't often get to, get to see uh, Superboy snark, but he reserves it for Luthor. Obviously, there was no way in hell Superboy was going to experiment with the potion on Lex. He does not need a super smart Lex. Lex is smart enough to give him difficulties. So it teaches a rat to read, and uh, now they've got 38 minutes to cure Darla and save the world. By the way, I didn't mention, I didn't write this down in my notes, but we do get a name drop of Professor Peterson, who we haven't seen since season two and won't see again in the show. Matt name dropped him when he reported that Dar- that the Earth would spin off its axis in 38 minutes. Dr. Professor Peterson is still a Schuster, and I love how everything revolves around Schuster University. All these government labs, all these scientists all throughout the world who makes the observation that the Earth is going to spin off its axis the local professor, of course. So now, uh, you know, she's destroying the world, and Darla is feeling remorseful. She's upset that Lex doesn't recognize her for her intelligence, and because she doesn't really care anymore, she lets Lana go. That's when Lex comes back, so he says she was out looking for Clark, and he's talking to Darla, distracting her and popping some champagne. And Lex is nervous, and Darla susses him right out. Darla knows that the antidote is in there, and she won't drink it. You know, Darla is real low right here. All she wanted was some affection from Lex and some respect, and she's, you know, she's so low that she doesn't care if she destroys the world. She doesn't plan on living in it. And although I think there is a part of her that wants to drink the potion, but she can't because she lost control of her powers, which is a danger if you're that powerful, become that powerful that quickly. The powers can control you and not the other way around. I mean, Clark learned to control his powers over time. Darla's only had a few hours, maybe a day. So Lana whispers something into Lex's ear, and obviously Superboy heard her. Lex is just horrified by the, by the idea, but he has to force it out, tell Darla he loves her, and offers to help her. And that is enough to get Lex through the force field and allows him to save the day. Of course, in a Sherman Howard penned episode, Lex Luthor saves the day. And Darla falls to the ground, and... The Earth stops shaking. Darla asks what they're looking at, and everyone complicates her. Lex and Darla kiss. Lana and Superboy are smiling. And Darla sees the formula and kind of winks that the computer goes off. I'll have to uh, take a look back at that and see if that, if she, I, I, I missed it when I watched the episode, to be honest. You know, computers have had power save modes and gone to sleep mode for as long as they've been around. So that's just what I thought had happened. But maybe she does have some powers left. That was a fun episode. Tracy Roberts ran the entire gantlet of emotions from angry to superior to scared. A good showcase for her. My only complaint is that Lana's uh, characteristics seemed uh, a little off, but it was good to see her put the idea in Lex's head on how to get through to Darla. It is something that Darla would do under normal circumstances, so it was good to see Lana have something to do. Not really a ton for Superboy to do in this episode. He was mainly a plot device. Sherman Howard only wrote two episodes, and he kind of minimizes Superboy in both a little bit focuses on his own character. Although I did notice that his episodes don't have a ton of guest stars. He was the only one in Mind Games, and uh, the only guest stars in this episode were Tracy Roberts and a bank CEO, who only appeared in one scene. Other than that, this was a fun episode, a great episode, and 
I hope you're watching along. This is one of those episodes, and along with the next one, that really you need to watch. So at this point, I'm going to take a quick break and play a podcast promo. When I come back, I'm paranoia. Hang around, folks. Dr. Fate. Dr. Midnight. Starman. Johnny Quick. Wildcat. Power Girl. The All-Star Squadron. Firebrand. Amazing Man. Huntress. Cyclone. Sandman. Mr. Terrific. Star Commander Steel. Seven Soldiers of Liberty. Liberty Infinity Incorporated. Those are just some of the celebrated and beloved heroes associated with Earth 2 and the Justice Society of America. These daring mystery men and women banded together in 1940 to form the first super team in comics. They inspired a decades-long legacy of heroes who would follow in their footsteps. And now they've inspired us to launch a new podcast. Justice Society presents a new anthology on the Fire and Water Podcast Network featuring a variety of theme shows with different hosts celebrating some of their favorite comics and characters associated with the golden age of comics, Earth 2, the JSA, and beyond. We'll launch this new series with an ongoing show called Justice Society Presents Crisis, in which Rob and Shag go through each of the classic team-ups between the Justice League and the Justice Society. Then joining the podcast feed will be the Starman Chronicles. Chris and Cindy continue their coverage of James Robinson's epic series from beginning to end. Later in the year, Ryan Daly and Max Romero will tackle the Vertigo title, Sandman Mystery Theater. And two years later, Ryan will cancel it. That's probably... Then in the coming months and years, we'll be adding further ongoing shows and one-off specials celebrating other beloved characters and comics related to the JSA of any era, from the 1940s to today. Join the fight for justice and subscribe to Justice Society Presents on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to finish this episode off with Paranoia. Original broadcast date was November 10th, 1991. Directed by David Nutter. Written by Paul Steubenrock. Guest cast included. Jack Larson, Lou Lamont. Noel Neal as Alexis. Jordan Williams as Joseph Flynn. Kevin Corrigan, Mel Stewart, Elizabeth Fendrick as Margaret, Max M. Brown as the leader, Jeff Preslauer as the cop, and Tony Shepard as Charlie. And our synopsis is brought to you by TV.com. Flynn and Stewart, from the head office of the Bureau of Extra Normal Matters, arrive and have Jackson arrange the staff in his office. People, I would like to introduce you. Sit down. I can tell them who I am. My name is Joseph Flynn, and this is my partner, Mr. Stewart. We're here from the head office. Now, the reason we're here is someone in this room is hiding something which, in time, could prove to be a breach in national security. Now, wait a minute. My people would never Your do... people? I wouldn't be so sure about that. Any administrator that would let a thing like this get past him needs to be replaced, and I intend to do just that. Now, sit down. We already know which one of you it is, but uh, we're more interested in finding out where the rest of your allegiances lie. So for the next couple of days, we're going to be interviewing you individually. So I suggest you place your loyalties to one another aside because the person you're sitting next to could be harboring a very dangerous secret. As Flynn interviews each person, paranoia seems to be building amongst the staff. What did you tell him? You were in there over an hour. I didn't even mention your name. Now get off my back. Flynn's only been here a few hours and everybody's totally paranoid. It's almost as if there's something in the air. Maybe it's justified. Miss Lang? Clark, did you take the UFO file that was on my desk? Listen, the ranger called. One of the search parties just found the object that the pilot saw. And it's definitely an alien craft. I knew it! What else? Th there were human-like footprints leading away from it. And they're tracking them? Well, they can't. The dogs can't get a scent. Well, why wouldn't there be a scent? 
I don't know. That's weird. I wish I could get out of here and find out what's happening. Yeah, I know what that's like. I wonder what happened to that file. Flynn interviews Lana and due to his unprofessional comments, she slaps him, leaving everyone else paranoid about what was said during their own conversations. Are you okay? Did you say something to Flynn about me? No. Why? Are you hiding something, Lana? No. Are you? Somebody is. What about you, Ritter? You were in there an awfully long time. You spill your guts about the rest of us? Spill my hey, guts! Listen. I didn't say a he word. Wasn't saying Things are progressing rather nicely. I was in there a long time trying not to yeah, say a word about any of you people. I think you're pushing them a bit too hard. I don't care what you think. I'm the one in charge. How about you, Clark? You're always sneaking around. Yeah, disappearing for hours at a time, taking long lunches. Where do you go? Probably selling secrets to the Russians. Oh, no, you idiot. It's the Japanese now. Wait a minute! This isn't like us. Something's wrong. We're friends. We'll probably find out this whole thing was a big mistake. Or maybe they'll find the one they're looking for. And then we'll all be on the news, looking like those people, let's say, I worked with him for years. I can't imagine he'd do anything like that. I, for one, hope they nail him. Or her. Mr. Kent? During Clark's interview, their attention is required outside, where a staff member is about to jump to her death, fearing that her interview will expose her infidelity to her husband. Clark changes to Superboy and saves her after she jumps. Later that night, Clark returns to the bureau to meet with Flynn. He finds Flynn lying on the floor, presumably dead. As he phones for help, he hears the elevator closing. He rushes downstairs to find Lana coming out of the elevator, claiming to have just met with Flynn. Later, while the crime scene is sorted, Mac gets a call about a second alien craft landing just outside of town. That was my ranger friend. They've spotted three, maybe four sets of tracks. The bad news is that they've lost the trail at the edge of the city. The aliens could be anywhere in Capital City. Someone's giving you a line of bull. If they were here, why hasn't anyone seen them? I don't know. But there's something else. The search party just spotted a second UFO. And the tracks from it are following the first ones. I would kill to get up there. Oh, you know what I mean. Stewart investigates Flynn's death, and Flynn's datebook has an entry for a meeting with Lana, implicating her as a possible suspect. There's not much else to tell. As I stepped out of the elevator, I saw Clark running into the stairwell. I was going to call to him, but he was already gone. So I went in to talk to Flynn. I wanted to just clear up our earlier misunderstanding. About earlier, I'm sorry if I was out of line. I found him in the bureau, and I told him I needed to talk to him. But he refused. He went into his office and closed the door. You said you saw him running toward the stairwell. But you said earlier that he was already dead when you ran out. Well, maybe it wasn't me that she saw. Maybe it was the murderer. Then they interview Lou, who says, When I checked out with the guard downstairs, I noticed that Lou hadn't checked out yet. I thought that was strange since I knew I was the last one to go. What's the big deal? I just forgot to sign out. Forgot? I've been here for 20 years, and not once has Charlie ever let me get by without signing in or out. LL. Lou Lamont. You were the one in the appointment book at 9 o'clock. He must have come back after I did. And killed him. Earlier, I heard you tell Dennis that someone had belted Flynn with his paperweight. How did you know what the murder weapon was? You're sweating, Lou. He's been doing that all day. Listen, I didn't kill him. Sure, I came back to talk to him, but it was because I wanted to talk to him privately. I waited in the building until I was sure everyone had left. I heard the elevator and knew someone was coming, so I figured I'd get blamed, and I hid. Mr. Flynn?
I was going to the lobby, but then I remembered the guard. So I got off on the second floor and waited for the police and the rest of you to arrive. Then I came back up, but I tell you, I didn't do it. Why did you want to talk to Flynn? Oh, I knew who you guys were looking for. I'd been taking home office supplies for years. Nothing big, just pencils and stuff. I used to do it all the time when I worked at the newspaper. When he feels nobody believes him, Lou pulls a gun from a nearby cop and trains it on the group. Clark then reasons with everyone and gives his theory. He was definitely dead when I saw him. What are you saying, Clark? That I am lying? Is that what you're saying? That you think Lana's lying? No, I would never say that. About any of us. I could. So could I. Lou, I don't know what it is that's making us all act so paranoid, but we have to fight it. We've been together long enough to realize that none of us is capable of doing the things that we've been accused of. But we can't all be telling the truth. Oh, no? Well, listen to this. Flynn must have set everything up in advance. He assumed Lou would find the body when he came in for his 9 o'clock meeting. Mr. Flynn? But he didn't count on me coming back, too. And this is where the plan went wrong. Flynn knew he had to cancel my 911 call quickly. Uh, yes, operator. You just received a call from the Bureau of Extra Normal Matters. It was by accident. What he also didn't count on was Lana Mr. showing Flynn? up. About earlier, I'm sorry if I was out of line. He knew he had to get rid of her. I don't want to talk about it. Now leave me alone. Lou took the elevator down to the second floor like he said. It came back up, and Lana took it down to the lobby where Charlie and I were waiting. Why would Flynn fake his own murder? I don't know. Unless, of course, he wanted all this to happen. Matt chimes in and figures out that Flynn, Stewart, and the two cops who are with them are all aliens, and the second ship is pursuing them for capture. Flynn and his men try to escape, but Superboy arrives and stops them. He seals them inside the elevator, and when two more aliens arrive to apprehend them, due to... Paranoia they've generated, the four aliens begin to fight. When Superboy opens up the elevator to turn them over to the apprehending alien, they are all unconscious. We're looking for four escaped prisoners. I've been expecting you. You're from the second ship. We followed them here. We just want to return them to where they belong. But first you have to tell me, how do they do it? How do they make everyone so paranoid? We generate emotions the way you humans generate heat. In this case, the emotion was paranoia. I hope they didn't cause you too much trouble. No. Not as much as they caused themselves. They just needed a little time together. All right, so this episode also was a lot of fun. And right off the bat, you know, I knew this. I had this episode highlighted because it wasn't an episode I really remembered. But I did remember there being an episode with... Noel Neal and Jack Larson, who I probably, you know, I knew them back then. I knew who they were, but I don't think I had the appreciation for how long they've been contributing to uh, the Superman legacy that then that I do now. But watching this now, it was definitely uh, a treat. And this episode starts in the Bureau, and Matt is excited about something. Uh, Park Ranger reported that some pilots saw a UFO, and Clark is excited to come along until uh, Jackson reminds him that... He has other things to do, and uh, Jackson will lay down some typical Jackson skepticism and remind Matt that it's probably just a meteor. Because we all know that, like Jack, like Clark said in Neil and the Beast, they could lay the beast on Jackson's desk and he'd still think it was a hoax. So, uh, Superior Agent uh, that from comes in from what he says is the head office for the Bureau of Extra Normal Matters, and he demands to meet the investigative staff, uh, Two of them are Lou and Alexis, and that gives us our first look at Noel Neal and Jack Larson in the roles that they're going to play. And it's good to see them again in a Superman-related project. We haven't seen Noel Neal since Superman the movie, when she was on the train with uh, young Lois Lane. And we haven't seen Jack Larson, I don't believe, since uh, The Adventures of Superman. Jack Larson kind of stayed away from uh, Superman-related stuff uh, after the death of George Reeves with The Adventures of Superman. You know, I think uh, he'd gone on to being a playwright, I believe. And Noel Neal came back with Kirk Allen, famously in Superman the movie, as uh, Lois Lane's parents. Like I said, on the train. The uh, director's cut 
gives them both a little bit of dialogue and confirms that the girl on the train is Lois Lane. But even you know, in my early days watching uh, Superman the movie, I'd always recognize Noel Neal being there. And then Noel Neal came back for that Saturday Night Live 50th anniversary special in 1988, playing the role of Ella Lane, Lois Lane's mother. I don't recall if Jack Larson was involved in that. It's been years since I watched that, and honestly, since it was a clip show and didn't really contribute anything new, I, I didn't include it in my coverage. But I do know in, in 1988, Jack Larson started hosting uh, Thanksgiving Day uh, Superman marathons. I believe they were referred to as Superman festivals. And he was the host, and he'd come on and he'd talk a little bit about uh, some of the episodes. So he was definitely yeah, kind of back uh, in it a little bit from 1988 to 1991. And he makes a guest appearance here. He'll make another one in Lois, in Lois and Clark in a few years. And then he'll both he and O'Neill will be back for Superman Returns in 2006, if I ever get to that. What I like about this episode is that it puts them together. I think... Uh, even though they were both in Superman Returns, I think that movie wasted the opportunity of having them together because they're great together. And they're great together here, too. It, it seems as though their banter hasn't missed a beat since the 1950s. And now, you know, like I said, when and Jack is uh, wearing a similar outfit to what Jimmy wore in uh, The Adventures of Superman. You know, he's still got to wear the tweed jacket and the bow tie. The sweater vest that he wore in The Adventures of Superman was more of a, at least in the color episode, was more of a, a turquoise, almost a greenish. His vest here is a little bluer. But as much as I love seeing Noel Neal and Jack Larson together, they're probably a little old to be working as investigative agents. You know, Noel Neal's over 70 at this point. Jack Larson's in his early 60s. But like I said, they've still got that chemistry from the Adventures of Superman. He asks her a question. Noel clips back at him because Flynn's visit is causing some paranoia in the office. And you know what? That's going to happen, I think, anytime. Like, some kind of head honcho comes into uh, an office and starts questioning people about something. Like, people start to worry about, you know, well, what's he saying? What's uh, what's going to happen? Is that going to hurt me? You know, and people start kind of looking out for themselves. And that, and the paranoia just builds and builds. And while this is all going on, the park ranger keeps calling. And uh, this time he confirms that it was a UFO. And uh, the dogs uh, can't get a scent. Matt wants to go out and check it out, but he's kind of stuck in the office. Now Flynn is uh, questioning Lana, and uh, Flynn's a little touchy-feely with uh, Lana here. And I thought this actor looked familiar, but I guess he just got one of those faces because he only has two IMDb credits, and this is the only place I've seen him. And I haven't seen this since, since it came out, so I haven't seen this guy anywhere. He kind of reminds me of David Harbour of Stranger Things, but David Harbour probably would have only been 15 or 16 when this was made. So again, Flynn is um, very suggestive with Lana, and... Lana's getting annoyed with his lack of professionalism, and he hints at Lana's quote-unquote reputation, and he says, things come out in interviews. So he's threading some kind of needle, and it looks like his goal is to turn the uh, staff against each other, but everyone got a really good look at uh, Lana slapping him. So now Lana's mad at someone else. And now an argument is breaking out amongst everyone, and uh, Flynn's assistant thinks uh, that he's pushing them too hard, but Flynn doesn't want to hear it. At the start of this episode, I kind of wondered, why this one? Why was this the episode to bring back Noel Neal and Jack Larson? And here it is. Noel Neal commenting on Clark sneaking around. How about you, Clark? You're always sneaking around. Yeah, disappearing for hours at a time, taking long lunches. Where do you go? Probably selling secrets to the Russians. Oh, no, you idiot. It's the Japanese now. Wait a minute! The kind of thing that we've seen in the Adventures of Superman time and time again, where with Lois trying to figure out that Clark is Superman. Just for to hear Noel Neal comment about Clark sneaking around and having some kind of secret makes it worth having Noel Neal here. And the ban like I said, the banter between Noel Neal and Jack Larson, they haven't meant to be. They're like an old married couple, and they have very natural chemistry going back 40 years. And it's glad to see that they didn't lose it in the interim. So now it's Clark's turn to go in for questioning, and it's interesting that Flynn is doing this interview with the door open. So he clearly wants people to hear. And Clark thinks uh, this is about Superboy and when the interview was cut short because the office is going nuts because Margaret is going to kill herself by throwing herself out the window. Apparently, uh, she's having an affair with someone and cheating and she's going to kill herself rather than let her husband find out. So Clark disappears, you know, sneaking off, as Alexis would say. Superboy catches her and we get a jeepers from Jack Larson. 
classic Jimmy. You know, they're not afraid to have Noel Neal and Jack Larson do the uh, do the old beats from the Adventures of Superman. And honestly, if you're not going to have them do those, there's no point in even having them here. So later on that night, Clark comes back to the office and Flynn is down on the ground. He looks pretty dead to me and the phone wire has been cut. Remember when that was a problem, boys and girls? Oh, no cell phones in 1991. At least none that were uh, convenient. So the Bureau's address is uh, 101 North Siegel in honor of Superboy slash Superman co-creator Jerry Siegel. So Clark thinks uh, the person coming down the elevator killed uh, Flynn and it's Lana who says she was talking to Flynn. Huh? Was she there before Clark was? Was she the person Clark saw walking in the elevator? There's all kinds of mi- a huge mystery being set up here. And now everyone is back in the office and Flynn is dead. And Noel O'Neill still retains uh, her snarkiness from Lois from uh, when she played Lois Lane. So now we're getting another update from uh, the park ranger. Now there are four tracks by the UFO. Lou is still not, not going for it. Matt wants to check out the uh, UFO. So bad that he'd kill to get up there. Probably not the best word to use with a dead body in the next room. And <laughs> I just kind of love the death stare that he gets from everybody when he says that he would kill to go check out the UFO. Yeah, there's a dead guy in the next room. And then Matt is like, oh, come on, guys. You know, they all knew what we meant. And so did the, the rest of the viewing uh, public. But everyone is said to have a motive. And there's an entry in Flynn's diary, LL. Obviously, the first person you're thinking of is Lana, Lana Lang. So Lana's story didn't match Clark's. Flynn was dead when Clark got there. But Lana saw Clark leaving. Lana, And then Lana said that she was talking to Flynn. So how could Lana talk to Flynn after Clark saw him dead? But then we learned Lou Lamont is also an LL. I don't know if we knew that Lamont was Lou's last name before this, but I think early on they were just referred to as Lou and Alexis. Alexis, we don't know Alexis's last name, so... It's obviously not important because it's not an LL. And I'm also getting a very clue vibe from this episode. You know, kind of everybody assembled in the bureau trying to figure out who did what, who killed Flynn with the amethyst rock in the in the boss's office. They don't know everything else. They just don't know who. So then Lou says someone had belted Flynn with the paperweight. Well, how did he know that? Unless he did it. I'm not sure the thing about the paperweight is as much of a smoking gun as people are making it sound like because the paperweight was lying right next to Flynn. So it might be the kind of thing where you could readily assume that the paperweight was used to belt them. So, now, Lou's story. Lou heard the elevator when Clark walked in, and that's when Lou left. But for some reason, Lou stayed on the second floor. So remember how Margaret confessed to having an affair? Well, Lou confesses to stealing office supplies. And I love the reference to uh, when he worked at the newspaper. A reference to the adventures of Superman. And honestly, I could definitely see Jimmy Olsen stealing some paper clips from other Perry White's notes. And now you should see the look that Lou is getting from Alexis. That's, you know, that's Noel Neal's character. So Jackson screams that Lou's the criminal, and then Lou swipes the cop's gun, which is the worst idea in the history of bad ideas. And Matt, you know, in total agreement with me, points out how, how stupid this is. Like, Lou, don't do anything stupid. So Lou knows Clark and Lana are hiding something. Alexis makes a comment that they're after their jobs. Again, on the defensive, paranoid. Honestly, I think Alexis should be thinking about retirement, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, Matt comments that they always try to take field work, some of it his, which makes me wonder, when the hell was the last time Matt left the office? I have to actually do some research to figure that out. But something's not right. You know, it's hard to tell who saw what during the flashback, because during when Lou's telling the story, we see Clark come in. But the episode seems to indicate that Lou didn't see Clark, so he didn't know who came in after him. Lou couldn't say, oh yeah, and that's when Clark walked in. He just says he heard somebody and snuck out. But the question becomes, how could Flynn be alive when Lana got there if she arrived after Clark? She said she saw him leave. So now Lana acts as though Clark is calling her a liar, and she freaks out. So Clark talks Lou down and gets him to lower the gun. And now Clark has a theory. Flynn cut the phone wire and assumed Lou would find the body, but didn't account for Clark coming back. So after the 911 call, Flynn gets up. You know, he rises from the dead because he wasn't dead to begin with, and cancels the 911 call. And that's when Lana shows up. And Flynn kind of yells at her to get out because he kind of he catches her uh, in the middle of this act here. And as all of this is going on, the first thing I wonder is, is that Flynn still lying dead in the next room? So then Matt puts it together. Why didn't Flynn have a pulse? And also his body was cold. Well, apparently there was no body heat and no pulse. And no heat, according to Matt, means no scent. And that's when he reveals that both Flynn and Stewart are the aliens that came from the spaceship, as are the two cops. 
And as Matt figures it out, I love the shot of Jack Larson just kind of pointing the gun. Usually with Jimmy, that's the point where he kind of sh- where he shoots the gun at his foot or something. So, they're all aliens. So, they've sussed out the truth, and now these four are on the run from another ship. They didn't take any hostages, and here's Superboy hanging out outside and facing off against the aliens. And I guess these aliens have no abilities and can't hurt him. So, he traps him in the elevator and seals it up. Now, the aliens are paranoid and turning on each other. And there must be something about these aliens that creates paranoia. And I love how Superboy just sits in the, el- sits on the elevator and shakes his head. As the aliens from the second ship show up. And they are basically uh, picking up some criminals. Basically, four aliens were on the run from these alien police. So, the alien police take the alien criminals home, and the episode ends. So, that episode was a lot of fun. It was great to see Noel, Neil, and Jack Larson together on screen again. I do believe that's the last time they shared the screen together, despite them both being in Superman Returns. Again, them not sharing seeing Superman Returns was a wasted opportunity. But it is what it is. But what a fun episode. And they definitely took a good advantage of having Noel Neal and Jack Larson together. Next time, a two-part Lex Luthor story. Know thine enemy. Till then, want to leave feedback? It's always welcome. Man of Screen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over the Facebook group, just put Man of Screen Podcast in your third tweet and the show should come up. Let's find the show on Twitter at Man of Screencast. And if you don't mind, why don't you leave me a review on Apple Podcast? That'll help the algorithm and that'll help people find the show. Alright, until next time folks, we're on the same team. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.